Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing, where we bring on guests and we talk about this beautiful city we call Long Beach. And now, here's your host, motivational coach, Paul Fortune. Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and like us on Facebook. We have another great show for you today. We have my new friend, Summer Temple. Summer, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you today, Paul? Good, good, good. The reason why I told you off air, the reason why I wanted to bring you on is I I saw your resume uh, about Long Beach and man, you love this city. You are all over the city doing various things. So I'm like, and I got to bring her on because she represents Long Beach. Thank you. Thank you for that. Problem. So fill us in with the, the viewers. Uh, what is your association with Long Beach? Well, first and foremost, I'm a business owner here in the city. Um, we have Don Temple Storage and Long Beach Youth Store and Lock, both here in Long Beach. My father, Don Temple, uh, started Don Temple Storage. Um, we actually just started uh, celebrating 55 years in business in the same location um, as of in July. So my, um, I'm a business owner. We also have commercial property in the city. Um, and uh, the way I was raised um, with my father was I watched him um, give back to the city. I watched him give his time and his love. When he saw cracks or problems, he set out to help solve them. Um, he always said to all of us, all of his daughters, he told us always that um, as a business owner in the city, we have a duty to be a part of our city and to give back and support the customers that support our business. Um, He always reminded us that everything we have is because of the patronage of the Long Beach community, that without their support of our business, we would have nothing. Fantastic. Well, let's go back in time, time a ways here. Were you raised in Orange County? (laughs) No, I was raised in Long Beach. Right, raised in Long Beach. Okay, what yeah. high school did you go to? I went to Long Beach Poly. Oh, Long Beach Poly. That's right. I'm a jackrabbit. Jackrabbit. Yes. Yep. So what, what were you doing in, uh, were you in any type of programs at uh, Poly High? Yes, and at Poly, let's see, I did a mock trial, speech and debate. Um, I was on the yearbook staff, um, as in the Japanese Exchange Club. So I was involved a bit at, at Poly. Oh, so you, did you travel to Japan then? No, I, unfortunately I did not go that way, but I did have an exchange student from Japan come and stay with us. And that was a lot of fun to, to host them and, and be a part of, um, and seeing, um, their excitement, like going to Disneyland, for instance. I mean, the girl wanted to buy everything and that's because in Japan it's so expensive. Yeah. So she was like, she, I mean, she just wanted to go mostly shopping um through disneyland but it, it was just amazing to see somebody else from another country hear about their experiences um and, and see how what they think of america yeah it's a it's amazing when you travel travel abroad you you just get a different perspective and for me it makes me uh grateful to be here especially in, in the long beach area of, of all the great stuff that we have and the great community that we have so i'm right there with you so you went to Poly High, and I believe then that I think that's why I got confused. I think you went to Chapman University, correct? Yes. So okay. after, um, so I, um, after Poly, I actually attended LBCC for a few years, and then through their honor program, I transferred out to Chapman University uh, from there. 
So yes. And then after I graduated, I spent a couple of years living out in Orange County as well. So, uh, you know, at, at that age at, at Chapman University, uh, what were you majoring in and what, what did you think you're going to be, what were going to be doing for your career at that point? Uh, well, actually from the time I was five, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So if I was pre-law for a long time, um, did pre-law in high school and city college and everything. Uh, but then I went to work for a lawyer in his office and I came to realize that if I, I knew if I became an attorney, that would become my whole life. I would be passionate. It would be everything I would do. And I realized that um, I wanted a family. Um, I knew I wanted one day to be a mom and to do all that. And I knew that when I became a mom, that would be my number one job. And so um I chose then to go into communications after that, um, because at that time at Chapman, interestingly enough, you know, Chapman is a great business school. But what the business school was finding was that businesses were coming back to hire communication majors more than business majors. The reason being is it was hard to teach business majors communication skills. It was easier to teach business to communication uh, majors. So Chapman started a new program under communication called organizational leadership, and it focused around business management. And things like that. So um, I went through that program while at Chapman. Um, I was fortunate enough to be there when they um, had the official opening of their law school. Um, and at that time, I was editor in chief of the school yearbook. And um, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas came to speak at the event. And I was lucky enough to get a one on one interview with him um, when he came to speak for the yearbook. So that was one of the highlights of my time at Chapman. How was it? How was it? Was it was he generous with his time there? With the oh, yes. Yes. I mean, honestly, this was not too long after everything that happened. So didn't know what to expect. But sitting down with him, he was gracious. He was kind with myself and the editor in chief of the school newspaper. He took all the time with us. He asked questions about ourselves and our journey. Um, it was very delightful. So you go through Chapman, you you change your major, you get into communications. Did you have a sense of what you wanted to do or you just were kind of brought at that point? Well, you know, here's the thing. We have a family business, right? And there was always a part of me that kind of knew I was going to end up there. Um, but I wanted to take some time away from that on my own and um, do things on my own for myself um, outside of the family business before I came back. So um, I always knew I was going to end up back there, um, but I took some time and went out and did some other things after college. I uh, worked at Starbucks as a manager, and let me tell you, um, wow, what an experience. <laughs> that, and actually, that really prepared me a lot for when I went into the family business because the things I learned about HR uh, laws and all um, budget, uh, running your budget, your P&L, all of that really helped me when I came over to the family business. So my dad it got to a point where he said to me, he goes, you know, I've never pressured you to come into the family business, but we're coming to a point where I need to know, is it what you want to do? And I told him, yes, it is what I want to do. So I, I quit my job and came over to work full time with him um, at the storage facility. So at, at start, well, I'm going to get into the family business in a second, but uh, getting back to Starbucks. So were you a, a, a general manager where you uh, ran a store or yeah. multiple mm -hmm. stores or I was one, I was a general manager. Yes. Okay. Yes. And actually when I left the company, I had just interviewed to go into their HR department and had been offered a job, but I decided to come back to the family business instead. Was that tough? Was that, a I know you said you always, you know, you thought you'd go back, but was there, did you second guess yourself at that situation that you had? This other position, obviously, how, how many years were you at, at Starbucks at that time? 
Uh, four years. Four years. So, so you you developed yourself there, um, and you you understood the culture. So, was there a part of you that were like, well, maybe maybe I uh, maybe I want to continue this journey uh, and see where it, where it goes, or was it just like, no, no, I did interview for it, but uh, my the family business is where I go. There was no question to go back to the family business. Um, you know, there's pride in our family of our business and what my father has built. I wanted to help carry on that his legacy, um, want to carry on the businesses. So, and the thing is, I've been actually been involved in the business since I was a kid. When I was a kid, my dad took me to the businesses. <laughs> um, you can still go in and see stickers on some of the filing cabinets from when I was a kid and I put them on there um, as a teenager. I went in on weekends and holidays, answered phones. My dad believed that I needed to start at the bottom. So he had me start the front desk, answering phones, working with customers, learning leases. So I had been working in the family business on and off um, since my childhood. Okay. Well, let's get into the family business. You said storage, but uh, give us an idea of what your, your family business does. So we are in self-storage. We have RV storage and um, inside storage as well. We cater to the Long Beach uh, community. We, like I said, we've been in business for 55 years. So my dad was the first to open a self-storage facility. We know the LA Basin. It's debatable if it's Southern California. He was also one of the first to build a multi-story facility in the nation. Um, he was inducted into the self-storage hall of fame before his passing for everything. He also helped write the California lien laws that now are now in place. He was a big believer in having protections in place for the customers. So it was. You said your grand. It was your grandfather who started it. Well, okay, it's a little confusing there. Um, so my mom had me at a young age, and so her parents, my I guess you could say my grandparents Don and Ruth, they took me in at six months old, and then they adopted me when I was five. So I, by blood, Don Temple was my grandfather, but by law and in my heart, he was my father. And uh, so Don Temple. So how did he? How did he get into to the business? You know, what, was he doing something else? And he had this opportunity to buy a storage. You know, an area that he used for storage. How did that all come about? My father was in um, so, uh, service stations and gas stations before that. Um, that's what he was running. And he went out to Arizona and he saw um, snowbirds out there and he saw that there were some facilities popping up, just small little places popping up that would store for the snowbirds for when they were away. They could store their belongings there instead of bringing them back and forth. And he thought, wow, that's a great idea. So he he came back and he found some property and and just opened up a facility and started in the business. He was one of the very he was one of the pioneers in the industry. Wow, there must have been a lot of trial and error with that. I mean, obviously, this business is pioneer, so whatever he does is new. So did he go over kind of stories of, of oh, man, I tried this and that didn't work. And then I went this way. Did, what, 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 how, how did that all come about? Um, I think he started off with self-storage and saw how that took off. And then um, RVs, uh, boats, things like that started. So then he moved over into that sector as well. At one time, he had about six facilities um, all over California that he was in charge of. He also was a founder of the um, investment group Bancap um, here in Long Beach. So he um, helped start that organization and was on their board for many years as well. Did your father, did he grow up in Long Beach? No, so my father's from Kansas. Okay. He always he always used to say that he 
never knew how a farm boy from Kansas got to where he was. That was always his mentality. He was very modest and very humble. Um, he came from Kansas. He came out here in World War II. He was um, in boot camp on Catalina. And he wrote home and said, I've died and gone to heaven, and I'm never coming home. Well, he did briefly go home, and that's where he met my grandmother. It turns out his sister had rented his room to my grandmother while he was gone. And that's how they met. So um, they met, they got married, and they moved out to California. How long? And that was that was like in the in the uh, late 40s then, right? Yes, late 40s. Uh, and yep. did he move? Where, what city did he move to in California? Or did you move straight to Long Beach? Uh, Santa Monica is where his service station was um, originally. Um, Which is not a bad area to be either. Nope, not a bad area to be either. And my father was a pilot um, as well. I think what attracted him to Long Beach was the airport, um, the climate, the culture, the people. So they moved here. Um, they moved to Long Beach. He opened up the self-storage business and the rest is history. And, and how many units do you guys have in the, in the Long Beach area? Over our two facilities, we have um, about 1,800 inside units and about um, 300 RV spaces. And where is that located? We're right by the airport on uh, Spring Street. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we're at, on one side, we're next to, it was the Kilroy Center. I believe it's um, Aero, Aero now, A-E-R-O. Uh, so we're right next to them. And then one block over on the other side of the water department on um, the corner of Spring and Redondo is Long Beach Youth Store and Lock. And you, and you, and you, and you guys own both. Yes. Okay. So our property at Don Temple, we lease from the city. We, okay. we own the property at Long Beach. And then my father over the years also um, had the foresight uh, to make investments in Long Beach, had opportunity to buy land and did so. And so we are, we also have some commercial property here in Long Beach as well. Um, we are the owner of the property that the Grand sits on. We are the landlord for that. And we have a, another uh, location on Spring and Palace Verde. My father bought that from the Bixby family many, many years ago. Spring, Spring and Palo Verde, that, that's, there's like a B of A there and across the streets the McDonald's. He owns that shopping center? So, no, we're Caddy Corner of the McDonald's. We had okay. the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf in there. They left to go up the street to the drive-through. Yeah. Um, we have a doctor's office, a, um, an eye doctor. There's um barbecue land. Okay. Yes. I know where I know where that I know where that's at. Okay. I got I there was a the, the security guard for Milliken they had like a That was on my property. Yeah. It. That happened on my property. That was quite a day. Yeah. Quite, quite a day. Uh yeah, all of a sudden all my tenants are calling me cuz we don't have a property management company. I manage those properties. Uh, myself and I have I have a relationship with my tenants they all have my number they all know they can call me for anything all of a sudden my phone is blowing up from my tenants calling me and I'm like oh my gosh okay all right yes wow that, that well you know that as a, as a property manager I mean I, I obviously that you're you're probably used to these emergencies for plumbing issues and everything like that yeah. So are you on call 24 seven or what do you do in the yes. middle of the night? Do you, do you have a service? I mean, how does that all work? If you no, do it, it only happens in the middle of the night, they call me. Wow. They call me. My father managed the properties. I managed them with him. Um, I learned all the ins and outs. I really, uh, I plus just like my father, I like to be, I don't want to say I want to be in control, but I want to know what's going on in the businesses. Um, I'm not comfortable handing that off to somebody else. Uh -huh. um, even a property management company. Um, plus, I feel like if, if I can do the work, why pay the management fee to someone else? 
did you ever think about uh, making a, a property management company and, and uh, you obviously do your own, but take on more just because you know how to do it so well? Um, no, actually, I haven't really thought about that. Um, it's handling my properties on their own is a handful. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we used to have other properties. Uh, we've sold them off over the years, but it can be my full time job uh, just handling the properties, especially during shutdown and pandemic. Uh, working with our tenants, you know, to do deferred rent. Um, my father always said that we have a symbiotic relationship with our tenants. You know, you want them to succeed so they can pay your rent. So I've always looked at our tenants as a partnership. And that's how, you know, we try to do things during the pandemic is as a partnership and say, you know, let's work together to get through this. Um, um, I'd say all my tenants um, have stayed. They've all come through. Um, everything has everything has worked out well. That had to have been touch and go for you as, as a proper uh, property owner of a uh, commercial property. I mean, in one hand, yeah, you, you want to make sure that they succeed and you have sympathy for them because they can't be open, but mm -hmm. also you have your own expenses. So there's like a, a, a line you have to walk there. And I'm sure at that point in time was, was extremely tough for you. Um, do you ha have any insight on, on what you did to, to kind of make that work? Honestly, it was the fact that we had a great reserve that we were able to be so flexible. Mm -hmm. uh, my father always said to have at least six months reserve on hand because you never know what happens. And um, we were lucky enough that we had been conservative and safe in our in everything we had done, that we had enough of a reserve that we were then had flexibility to be able to work with our tenants. Mm. Wow. How did your dad have such great business sense? It sounds like it was kind of like he just kind of learned on the on the fly. So mm -hmm. uh, he yeah, did. He I'm didn't. Fascinated. He graduated. He barely. I mean, I want to say I only say barely graduated high school because World War II. That's the only you know the only reason why. But he did not go to college, mm -hmm. um, and he often would feel sometimes intimidated in things that he said on with people around him with doctorates and PhDs and you know and wondering what am I doing sitting at this table? But my father. Um, had a great way of looking at things. Um, he was very sensible, down to earth, great common sense, um, a sense of fairness. Uh, most of all, he was known for his integrity and his word. Um, and all of those things is what helped make him a, a success. Yeah, I would imagine. He, obviously, uh, his parents must have been very, very good uh, in raising him to, to be that be that person. Because I'm always fascinated with that, you know, where, you you talked about him being raised in Kansas, kind of more of in a farm setting. Mm -hmm. Yes, and he and he goes to Southern California and basically takes over, takes over and buys all this land and knows what to do with it. I mean, not everybody can do that. Not everybody has that savvy to do that. It it takes a special type of person. So so I mean that that's awesome, awesome yeah. of, of of him to be able to to do that. And I'm sure. There was times, especially when he was buying property like that, I'm sure he, there was times where he was scared, but he 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 pushed through being uncomfortable because he knew um, that, that, you know, when you buy property, um, that that lot, most of the time it's it's going to grow eventually. I mean, you hold the property long enough, it's going to grow. And he had that foresight in uh, what fit, you said 55 years ago to do this, mm -hmm. I think is just a, a tremendous 
tremendous business sense and just just, just a very intelligent uh, man that he was able to have that foresight. I think that's awesome. He was a visionary and an entrepreneur. Mm. He was an amazing person. Mm. So what's the the vision of, of the business? Obviously, this is a le- legacy business that you have, and you mentioned being being a mom. Are your are your children? Is this something your children will want to take over, or how how does how all this, you think the plan will go? I hope so. Yes, but just like my dad, I'm not pressuring them at all. You know, I'm involving them and I talk to them about it, but I do not pressure them. My 12 year old daughter has said she wants to be in the family business. Uh, she wants to carry on the family uh, legacy. But as I think kids of her, she's 12, her as a generation, they want to do a lot. You know, she sees that as one thing that she will do, mm-hmm. a part of what she will do. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I, I hope to pl- uh, pass this on to my children uh, for them to carry on as well as also my father. And um, after my grandmother died of cancer, um, my father remarried uh, Marlene Temple. And together they created a Temple Family Charitable Foundation um, before he passed. And so I also want to pass that on to my children, our family foundation. We're focused in Long Beach, only uh, giving to local uh, nonprofits and charities. Talk about that a little bit more. So what yeah, I know you said nonprofits. So are you working with, uh, you know, um, home uh, animal shelters, that that, that type of thing and, and, and funding their, their works or how's that all work? We focus in the areas of arts, education, healthcare, and youth. Uh, so what we areas we support are Aquarium of the Pacific, uh, Ronald McDonald House, uh, Musical Theater West, um, ICT. We work with uh, LBCC, Cal State Long Beach. We we give to all these organizations. And how do you, how does this organization generate money to donate? My father, my father did something very unique. Um, when it was time to plan his estate out, he realized something he realized that half half of his estate was was not going to be ours or his. It was going to be given out in taxes, right? Mm-hmm. And But then he realized that if he started a foundation and left half of his estate to the foundation, it would go there. So he left half of his estate to this foundation to fund charities in Long Beach. Wow. I mean, again, again, with a good business foresight, um, mm-hmm. is he a re- was he like a, a kind of a research kind of guy? I mean, he must have been. No, you know what he would tell you is he surrounded himself with great people. That's mm-hmm. that's what he would tell you, um, that he had a great lawyer. I mean, he had his lawyer, his attorney, all of them worked with him for 50 years. They And they either they or their sons now work with me. Mm-hmm. Um so he would tell you that he has surrounded himself with smart people who mm-hmm. gave him great advice. He got an opportunity after my grandmother died of cancer to, uh, told you he was a pilot. He got an opportunity to fly around the world in his plane. It was an air rally around the world in 20 days. And he jumped on the opportunity. He went with his friend, Bob LaBelle and Sully Sullins. They're both pilots. And they got his Cessna Golden Eagle and they flew around the world. Part of this flight went over Russia, uh, Siberia one of the first private airplanes to go through Siberia. And he was talking about, and there was a book that somebody wrote um, about this. And he talks about this in the book that he was flying over Siberia and it was quiet and he was thinking, and he all of a sudden realized that everything he had accomplished was not his own. It was because of the people he had surrounded himself with. 
And he said, from then on, when he gave speeches, he no longer said I, he said we. Wow, it's unbelievable. Do you, I mean, obviously this is, sounds like a really small uh, business as far as people are concerned. Do you, do you guys, did you guys hire employees or are like, okay, you have a, okay. Yep. yep. We have employees. Uh, they're wonderful. They're, we're a family. You know, we are a small business. We have a, we had for a long time, a supervisor that was with us since I was a kid. Um, he was with us like 25 years. Um, and then after that, we had another great supervisor that came on and he passed on as well. Now we have a, once again, another wonderful supervisor uh, that runs the facilities and my staff is just they're just wonderful people. Okay, that's great. So, okay, so you have people that help you with the day to day. So it's not just you with the tenants. I mean, I'm, I I understand that you're you're extremely involved and, and the tenants know you, but on on kind of little little issues, you have employees to help or employees to help you to be more efficient, so to speak. Yes, exactly. Yep. That's that's great. That's great. And uh, you you said that, that your kids they they might continue on the gener continue on the generation. But before they take over, what is the your vision with you you at the helm going forward? Well, I want to say that's complicated, but I have tried to grow my business for ten years. Unfortunately, um, my industry is not popular. For cities to take on we don't have tax revenue we don't bring in tax revenue we don't have a lot of high jobs we don't bring in a lot of jobs mm. so i've been trying to find property and expand because rv sales are on the rise especially through covid a huge rise in rv sales and not only that we've seen the biggest uptake in the 30 to 40 um, year old demographic than we've ever seen before the younger generation is really into having experiences in a smaller house and wanting to go out and have life, enjoy life. So plus El, El Turo closed its RV facility. Gosh, how long ago has that been? 12 years ago or something like that. And they had a lot of uh, spaces. And when they closed, most facilities in Orange County were full already. And that spilled to Long Beach. We ended up with a five page waiting list after that. So I've been looking to try and expand and expand and expand for a long time. But it's just it's difficult uh, to do so. Um, what we're seeing a big trend right now is to um, people go are now leaving their RVs out near where they camp. Mm -hmm. So if they camp out near Lake Elsinore or something like that, they're leaving at a facility out there, driving their car out there, getting their RV and then and then driving back. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do expansion. There's a huge need for it, but the property is not readily available. What about, uh, you know, buying up more commercial property? Yes. Yes, we are. We are looking at that. Um, the right opportunities coming along. Um, I have a realtor and he takes me around, shows me uh, places because I've also got thought about getting into cold storage. Cold storage is turning into a multi-billion dollar industry in L.A. So like, uh, storing like meats and such. All kinds of cold storage from grocery stores, from, you know, those packages that come to your house, the meals already made. Mm -hmm. um, um, alcohol facilities like beer companies, they need somewhere to store. Um, it's cold storage is becoming a huge industry. So I looked into uh, doing cold storage as well. I've gone down that path. Um, just exploring the different opportunities and seeing what comes my way. You know, you would be a perfect person to ask this question too, because of you have your expertise um, with, you know, with commercial property, right? A lot, lot more people are buying uh 
goods through e-commerce means like Amazon and, and other places, right? So mm-hmm. with that being said, it seems to me that there are more and more commercial properties for lease than there once was before Amazon and all these e-commerce came around when you actually had to go somewhere to pick up these goods and people are finding it way more convenient to have it delivered to their homes and such. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, where do you see commercial properties going in the future? Where do you think that, 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 how the, how they're going to pivot? I think so brick and mortar stores, even before COVID was having problems exactly because of what you're saying online deliveries and, and things like that. And it was getting harder and harder to get tenants. In fact, I after Coffee Bean left our facility to open up the drive through up the street, um, that corner unit has set empty for two years trying to uh, find somebody for it. So I think the future is being creative with your space. For instance, I'm I had two facility uh, two open spots. I'm moving it in the process of trying to move a tenant over so I can have those spaces next to each other and offer more flexibility to somebody else coming in. I do remember reading a study a few years ago about brick and mortar stores, and they talked about how the some of the brick and mortar stores that aren't really going to go away are medical uh, medical facilities. So, for instance, I have an eye doctor and orthodontist in there. Um, I know they're, they're going to be sticking around. Another one was uh, beauty that even during the Great Depression, women still saved their money to be able to go to the beauty salon. So that beauty salons and places like that, uh, a little more fast food places or um, places you just walk in and sit down and order um, from the counter type of place. So that those type of industries are the ones that are really going to be out sustainability. Uh, so those are the type of places I have looked for um, at my location to bring in as it. But I think thinking outside the box and creativity is, is going to be key to the future of commercial property. I live here in Bixby Knowles and um, unfortunately we see a lot of vacancy up in here too as well. I'm wondering if if uh, a rezoning would help, you know, rezoning some of the commercial properties to residential because obviously residential is a different story. Um, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why our, our home values are going up so high is because of the supply and demand. And I was, Wondering what your thoughts were on uh, on having some of these commercial uh, properties rezoned to residential. Um, yes, we've seen successfully uh, malls being turned into housing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen examples of that. Yeah, there are a lot of creative ways to to repurpose the space. I also, I'm not of the uh, popular opinion, I will say, but I um, inform mixed use purposes yeah. as well. Um, I lived up north for a short span in San Jose, and at that time up there, San Jose Cupertino area was doing a lot of building with mixed use. And let me tell you about something up north. You think our building laws are strict? <laughs> They're strict up there. I mean, they love their open space. They love their trees. They, you know, building up there is not easy, and they're very particular. But they did some beautiful examples of mixed use properties um, that were um pleasing to the eye, aesthetically done, very, very well done. So I am of the opinion that I believe we need more of that in Long Beach. We need more of the mixed use places here. Um, I, I 100% agree with that. I, I, and I hear the stigma about mixed, mixed use properties because a lot of the mixed use properties are now, you know, the ones that are around or are closer to the beach and, and they're, they're 
70, 80 years old. So obviously mm -hmm. they're a little bit more outdated. And if you look at them in today's world, yeah, they probably don't look as nice as some of these other buildings. But yeah, I, 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 I'm I, with you there totally on, on having mixed use. I think mixed use would be... Um, extremely lucrative for for people to want to want to buy that property or want to lease that mm -hmm. property because of the of the opportunities to you know rent out the residential plus have you know plus have plus have, if you do own a own a business you have in a community where residents are around to consume your your goods because i feel like if brick and mortar is going to stay around mm -hmm. it's going to be more le less of the box stores the the gap and stuff and i think it would be more community-based businesses where the community will, will rally around the business because they want the community to succeed. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. That's actually what we see here in Bixby Knowles. That's exactly, Blair Cohen has done an amazing job of what I would say humanizing the business owners here in the area. Uh, for instance, the riots that happened um, a few years ago, right? I remember seeing online people were talking about the rioters moving up through Long Beach and heading toward Bixby. And people were talking about like, oh no, what about the Navarro family that owns Lola's? It wasn't like, oh no, Lola's. It was the Navarro family. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Crystal Rogers uh, and her, you know, boutique. So the people here in Bixby Knowles, um, the owners, the business owners are of our community. They are um, our neighbors. And so we see that here, um, really that sense of community and love for our businesses to go out and support them and um, make sure that they succeed. And, you know, I know people think about multi-use and they think, oh, it's going to be buildings to the sky and it's going to be all these sorts of things. But between what I saw, first of all, up in San Jose and how well they did it up there. And then I lived in Orange, going to Chapman, I lived in Orange. And the circle of Orange is exactly that. It is like three stories. Bottom is businesses. Top two stories are apartments. And it's still quaint and beautiful and have that small town feel. So there's still ways to make it happen without us feeling like we're in a concrete jungle. Absolutely. And I think if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're going to do something like that off of uh, uh, PCH behind the uh, shopping center, PCH and second near where the, where the meanies yep. used to be. And I think there used to be uh, that. What Whole is Foods that? Was there. Whole Foods was there. Whole yes. Foods was there that moved to PCH and mm -hmm. second. I believe that area, I think yeah. is going to be rezoned mixed used. I believe. Is that true? Yes, okay. yes. And I believe the property across from it, the congressional place, also is going to be the same of a mixed use, I believe. So, so yeah, I, I think that that will be um, the, the, I guess the pressure will be on on, on those properties that they, they need to, that they got to do a really good job. So the community can see like what you're saying in, in Orange and San Jose that, hey, this is pretty cool stuff here. This is not bad. This we, we're not losing the community feel here. This is this is good. So it will be interesting to see um, uh, on that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a great thing because you look at, uh, you know, as a kid, I went to the marketplace across the street there all the time. You know, my, my grandparents would take me there with the ducks and everything like that. It's a beautiful property and, and, and still is a beautiful property. But when I walk through, you know, I, I would say probably half the, 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 uh, the stores are, are, are empty and, and that's mm -hmm. a, a sad thing. And I think that when you're talking about mixed use, that, that might change that. Yeah. It helps the businesses, you know, have, have people coming in and it helps the residents 
as well. I think one big difference between here and San Jose is San Jose is a big walking. I mean, everyone walks up there um, everywhere they go, um, more than down, I think, down here. Mm -hmm. So I think that is one of the things that makes a huge difference up there. But I think if we provide this, the stores need customers and the customers want to be able to access them easily. Yeah, but you know, with like with you know, it, 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 you know, it may change on that. I mean, obviously, you know, especially in Long Beach, especially uh, Long Beach, as you know, is a very bicycle friendly uh, city. They they're yes. putting in all these uh, bike lanes, so with more um, availability of different stores in, in right in their neighborhood, that might change things. We we may be more of a quote unquote walking. See, I don't think we'll be completely like San Jose, but. I think that there could be a little bit more of a hybrid on that. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Great. Well, we, uh, this was a fascinating conversation. Uh, so you grew up, did you grow up in the, you went to Poly. So did you grow up in the Bixby Knowles area? No, I grew up in Belmont Shore. Okay. Grew up down here, um, went to Poly. I lived for about 10 years um, over by Millican High. And now I live in Bixby Knowles. So you grew up in Belmont Shore, uh, you know, and I and so I know that area pretty well. And I know Wilson is 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 the closest school. So were you in the Pace program? Is that why you went to Poly or? Yes, I went. I went over there on the CIC program. Mm. Yes. yes. But you... I was, to be honest, I was also kind of interested in expanding my horizons. You could say, in a way, um, I kind of recognized in middle school that. A lot of the kids around me were I, all the same, I guess mm. you could say. Yeah. And um, I wanted I wanted to go and meet new people and have new experiences. And actually, it was really one of the one of the times my father and I argued because mm. uh, you see, I was scheduled to go to high school right after the riots in the nineties. Oh. And so my father was naturally concerned about me wanting to go to Poly. Yeah. And uh, took a lot of convincing, but I, I finally uh, talked him into letting me go to Poly. It was the best experience I could have ever had um, going to Poly and, and going to that other side of town and, and all the people I met and, and and also just being a jackrabbit. There's something so special about Poly. There really is. It's it's like its own oasis in a way. Um, everything that happens outside of the school doesn't really infiltrate inside the school. It's like Poly pride trumps everything else that's that's very special and i and i hear that about people who who, who attended poly and um especially at the pace program um i mean one of the barnum one of the greatest programs in the nation not mm -hmm. just in, in southern california california but in the nation i mean i i, I know that people who who went through the pace program they can almost pick the place they want to go to college which is a, a beautiful thing and on how how hard the students there work and, mm -hmm. and going on the campus, it, you're right. It's a different, it's a different, I've been on the campus a few times. It's a different experience uh, than some of the areas. I went to St. Anthony's, which is not too far from Poly. Mm -hmm. So I'm familiar with that area, the downtown area. And I, and I get it. Some of those area isn't the greatest around, but when you go on the campus of Poly and, and you talk to a lot of the kids and what you said about the, the pride. Uh, yeah, I, I felt the pride. I mean, at, at the time, I don't know if it still holds true, but at one point in time, Polly had the most NFL players ever in any high school in the nation. They may still have that role. They still I hold that title. 
Yes. Yeah. But so obviously there was definitely uh, pride in, in that, in that high school. And anybody who says they've gone to that high school, a lot of, most of them are beaming uh, with yes. pride on, on, on the, going to that school. And there's countless of great people that have gone there. Uh, Billie Jean King is the, one of the ones that come to the mm -hmm. top. I had Snoop Dogg, but you can go yeah. on and on about different people that have gone to that school. You probably went, did you go to school with him? No, I went with his, uh, his brother. Okay. But I was, so I was actually there when he shot his video on top of the IP. I was oh, actually yeah. running track that day back on the, the field backs up to like catty corners of VIP, where VIP was. So I remember running around the track, listening to Snoop Dogg record his video on top That's of the IP. Cool. Yeah. That, Did you that, know, who he, yeah, he was probably, he was already pretty big at that point anyway, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. When he shot that video, yeah, he was starting to rise. You know, the other thing I'll say about going to Poly taught me so much about that neighborhood as well, and the the pride and love that is in that neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, and the community, the the strong sense of community that is there. It, it, you know, it's just it's unbelievable. Most people, I think, would look go to that neighborhood and 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 just feel negative. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of just feel negative. But for me, I, I go there and I feel I feel hope and I feel good because I see how the neighbor, how everyone takes care of each other mm. and how they look out for each other um, and, and help each other there. I think one of the best examples of it, it I remember is um, about VIP. In fact, I remember when the riots happened and that VIP was untouched. Mm during the riots. And that was because they were so loved in the neighborhood, they were protected. Mm. And I think that just speaks volumes about, about the community there. Uh, absolutely. Like I said, I, I went to St. Anthony, which is down the street from there. And when, even when I, I drive around that area now, I, I have a sense of nostalgia yep. because I remember, you know, like I didn't have a car. So I, I remember walking around that neighborhood mm -hmm. going home and, and different stuff. So yeah, I, I also have a, a, a pride about that neighborhood. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's great. And I think it's, I think it's gotten better since, since I've, since I've, since I've left. So I, I think that's a great thing as well. Well, this has been a great conversation. Let's end it on a, on a, on a fun note. Um, obviously you've been all over Long Beach and mentioned you've been all over Long Beach. So you got to have some good places to eat. So tell us some of your favorite places to eat around the city of Long Beach. Let's see. Well, definitely Lola's would have to be on their list. Their green crack salsa is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, some of my other pl favorite places to eat. Let's see. Ever since I was a kid, we went to the El Dorado. I know it's called the Eldo now, yeah. but uh, that has a lot of nostalgia for me going there. Let's see. I'm trying to think. I know it's not exactly Long Beach, but the Fish Company in Los Alamitos mm -hmm. is one of my favorites as well. I mean, there's so many great places here in Long Beach. La Opera's great. We have um, we have George's. We have Boathouse on the Bay. I think there's just too many. Every day I'm I'm finding somewhere. In fact, I I love to go to the 908, and I had never gone from the weekend for brunch. I went recently for brunch, and I was like, wow, look at this menu for brunch. And so I think the great thing about Long Beach is we have so many great little um, places uh, with personality, and and caring people that are running it. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Summer, it was great to get to know you. I'm glad you came on. I'm, I'm glad I reached out. This has been a wonderful time. Thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. 
Thank you, Paul, for reaching out. I, I appreciate you. No problem. It's been a long beach thing. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Please tune in next time for another great episode. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.